You're listening to the No BS Nutrition Podcast. I'm registered dietitian Hannah McGee. And I'm neuroscience PhD student Tarek Youssef. And for the next hour, we're going to tackle popular nutrition topics from a scientific lens, promoting fact over fiction with no BS. Welcome back to the Nobius Nutrition Podcast. This is neuroscience PhD student Tarek Youssef, and I'm with... I am registered dietitian Hannah McGee, and I am so excited to be sitting here with you today. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday. You know, we've recently been talking a lot about apps, the apps yes, that we, we use. I'm just looking at my phone to see if, been, if I've been using any new apps recently. Oh, you know what I love? Now, th- I want to talk about this for 10 years. There's a there's an app called Seek, S-E-E-K. And it's made by, it's in conjunction with the California Academy of Sciences and the National Geographic um, well, company. I don't know, not just National Geographic. Anyway, it's one of those apps where you put your camera up to a plant and the AI figures out what plant it is wow i know and i've really enjoyed using it i i've been using it on hikes on walks uh, i used it when we were in pei to like learn about some different plants that i like i i really love flowers like i love beautiful flowers so i always like i want to know what the beautiful flowers are that is very cool i will have to try that out um i've never heard of that before seek you said seek yeah so seek. i've identified conifer chicken of the woods oh wow <laughs> which is a mushroom okay cool chicken of the woods uh, i love that common asparagus fern which is one of our house plants that we have sheep laurel which apparently is poisonous to sheep i'm showing hannah a picture oh that's kind of pretty. Isn't that pretty yeah yeah uh oh blue bead lily which is a it's Ooh. like a little um what it, what would that be called? It looks like uh, a like berry a fruit? to me. A bear, that's the yeah. word, bear. I literally, I literally, <laughs> you know, I was like, bean? Is that what it is? <laughs> bean? <laughs> what is that called? Anyway, it's like this little berry that's um, native to North America. Anyway, yeah, so just like lots of like cool little things that I never would have seen otherwise. Or Maybe. like I never would have found out what they were otherwise. Yeah, yeah. That is really cool. Well. There's another not sponsored app that you can all go try. You're welcome. Oh my gosh, look at us all sharing our favorite apps together. We're just one <laughs> big family. Happy family. Happy family. Wow. That's it. Thanks. That's the podcast. That's the podcast. We guys found on the last episode. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Um, speaking of talking, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk about this week's topic so this week's topic there's a recent publication it's called cerebral mu opioid and cb1 receptor systems have distinct roles in human feeding behavior 
that's the podcast. <laughs> Have a good day. Right? <laughs> anyway, so it's recently published in a journal called Translational Psychiatry by Canton and colleagues from the University of Turku in Finland. Turku in Finland. So this is a retrospective study, which means that they didn't actually do any experimentations to get data. They um, found previously acquired data from other studies and they reanalyzed it in a different way. And it was... Uh, data from PET scans, so positron emission tomography. You've done, you've had a PET scan if you've ever drank one of those like blue or green liquids and then they put you in a scanner and then the liquid basically showed where there was like a certain target molecule or protein in your body. So <laughs> PET is obviously <laughs> there for it's like functional imaging. So it can measure blood flow or activity it can also just like find the location of certain like desired um targets right so these patients had either the the patients for which there was data had either been had undergone pet scans to detect uh, opioid receptors or cannabinoid receptors so I mean, it's just in the name, obviously, but opioid receptors would be the receptors where, um, like, opiates would bind, like those recreational drugs. However, we also have endogenous systems, um, endogenous opioids that would bind to opioid receptors. So those are mostly our endorphins uh, that would bind to opioid receptors. Uh, and cannabinoids, obviously, people might think, well, those are just for cannabis, but we also have endogenous cannabinoids, um, literally molecules that our body makes uh, that would bind to cannabinoid receptors for various reasons. Um, so the endocannabinoid system is responsible for homeostatic signaling or maintaining certain balances. So this is obviously maybe comes at no surprise for some people, but is associated with increased food craving, increased activity of the endocannabinoid system. Uh, it's also associated with cue-induced palatable food intake. So seeing a cue like a, a food advertisement, for example, and wanting to eat something that's highly palatable. So those things are usually considered to be like high-carb foods. So obviously this is why cannabinoids have such a reputation for giving people the munchies mm. you know the, the cannabinoid system itself those receptors when cannabinoids bind to them can cue food intake the opioid system obviously i mean you could gather from the use of opiates as recreational drugs but it's re um, involved in pain relief positive reinforcement you know reward um it's like it's also involved in the hedonic or like the the pleasure-related aspect of eating food, as well as obviously it's very implicated in the pleasure-related aspect of mm -hmm. drug addiction. So these patients had also uh, not only had the PET scans, but they had also undergone uh, the completion of a uh, a psychometric test. Or um, so this was a questionnaire uh, called the Dutch eating behavior questionnaire so it measures different feeding patterns that they categorize into um, three different uh, different groups um, so they either they rank your emotional eating your external eating and your restrained eating so emotional eating people i think like 
you know, we have a general sense of that. We've talked about that on the podcast before. External eating is eating in response to external cues, kind of like what I was talking about before, but it could be anything, you know, could be just seeing a food or smelling a food. You know, people who are categorized as external eaters might be people who pay more attention to food cues. We could actually do a whole episode about that probably. Um, and restrained eaters would be eaters that are more restrictive, yeah. for example. And you don't have to just be one kind of eater as, I mean, you could be none of these eaters, but you could also be all right. of these eaters at the same time, according to this questionnaire anyway. So they wanted to see if certain uh, eating patterns, feeding patterns, were associated with opioid or cannabinoid receptor activity in this study. So what they found was that when there was low opioid receptor uh, availability in the cerebrum, so in our brain, at the top of our brain, that was associated with increased externally triggered eating behavior. So people who are more likely to be external eaters seem to have lower opioid receptors. So think about seeing, you know, food in an advertisement or food on a shelf in a supermarket. These people potentially might be more likely to buy that food, for example, or to want to eat that food or to make, you know, literally make moves to go eat that food. And it seems like that kind of behavior is associated with having less opioid receptors. So the, this was happening, this was seen most significantly um, in what's called the frontotemporal cortex and the insula. So everything that's in the cortex or in the cerebrum is basically pretty complicated because it's involved in so much. The frontal lobe, uh, for people who aren't very familiar with neuroanatomy, is responsible for what neuroscientists call executive functions. So that's like personality, planning, decision-making, problem-solving, like really complex behaviors that involve processing information in and then making decisions about output. So that means that the frontal lobe is obviously connected to other parts of the brain, receiving things like information about our senses, whether that's vision or... or um, um, olfaction or mm-hmm. audition and then that kind of gets interpreted and then maybe like you make a decision based on that or you like you decide how you feel about something like uh, even though that's also happening in other parts of the brain the frontal lobe is really responsible for the most complex aspect right. of that so the temporal lobe is uh, also, like another part of the brain where a lot happens, um, but it's mostly known for being um, involved in memory as well as, um, uh, well, yeah, I mean, memory is probably like the biggest thing, but also auditory information is being processed there. So um, it makes sense like that, I don't know, these places that are like really complex and have to do with things like processing our senses might be involved in something like externally triggered eating behavior. The insula is another region that I mentioned with respect to this like lower opioid receptor availability. 
And the insula is really weird. The insula is this kind of hidden part of the brain that I, I hate saying very little is known about because obviously a lot of people have studied it, but it is a very complex part of the brain that is also related to um, the processing of sensory information as well. So, I mean, well, maybe we'll just like talk about this at the end, but maybe I'll just go through a little bit more of the results that they had. Um, There was lower cannabinoid receptor availability in people who were um, basically just had like more maladaptive eating Mm. behaviors, like people who scored really high on the Dutch eating behavior questionnaire, people who they might have been emotional, external and restrained eaters. They might have been all of them. Those people um, were more likely to have lower cannabinoid receptors in the hippocampus, an area called the frontal striatum, the insula, anterior cingulate, frontotemporal. Uh, I'm basically going to summarize all that and say that all, most of these areas are part of what's called the limbic lobe. Okay. So the limbic lobe is this area in the center of our brain. It's composed of multiple different regions. Um, and it's responsible not only for processing some sensory information, a, a large component of that being olfaction or smell. Our sense of smell is so powerful. Like it, it is so heavily processed and so tightly related to our memory, which is why, so, you know, people say like senses are like one of our strongest senses, if not the strongest. Like if you you can probably like close your eyes and remember the smell right. of something from when you were a kid. Um But all these things in the limbic lobe, the limbic lobe is really responsible for things like our affect, our mood, our emotions, how we feel about certain things. So another an indication that this system, the cannabinoid system, in relation to feeding behaviors, it's processing something to do with our feelings and our sensations, like our emotions that have to do with that. It's like the happiness of eating or the, I don't know, maybe like the sadness of not. So all these things are kind of related to, possibly related to um, these feeding behaviors and the lower presence of some of these receptors in the areas that I was talking Mm. about. So, it some of these areas are that I talked about are activated by the perception of food cues, obviously, because some of them, you know, a lot of them have to do with our senses. It's like our olfaction, like I was talking about earlier. And lower opioid receptor availability is linked to more brain activity in response to food images as shown by previous studies. So people with lower opioid receptors, we said, were more likely to be external eaters. Those same people, if they're presented an image of a food, like while they're inside of an MRI and their brain activity is being monitored, they will have more activity in their brain. So it seems like this kind, this finding has been, like is supported by previously uh, discovered information. So what does this all mean, like, and who cares? <laughs> so targeting these, I guess, like, the, one of the things that people can take from this is when there needs to be adjustments to feeding behaviors with respect to someone's health, like, it's really detrimental and people, like, really need to make changes for, like, whatever health reason. 
at the extreme scenario targeting these receptors is like i don't want to say like virtually impossible but it can be tricky because one of the things i kept saying was that they're involved in like very complex functions so imagine just blocking these receptor systems i mean it would result in so many off-target effects basically effects that you don't want like okay like maybe you wanted to lessen feeding behavior but now also you've changed somebody's mood you've altered their emotions you've changed the way that they're you know you maybe like you've made them more depressive and this was the case for you know some drugs that have been used in order to alter food intake there are some offshoot psychiatric symptoms like depressive mood even things like suicidality and anxiety that was true of uh, drugs that have blocked the cannabinoid receptor system as well as drugs that uh, target the opioid system and there are drugs out there right now that are being used in people with these side effects so it's a very complex and very probably like stressful thing for some of these patients um and I don't know. Like we, the opioid system, for example, has been implicated in eating behavior since before the 1980s. Right. But there's still so much to learn about how the brain works. So like even now, like we're not able to very specifically target these systems. Like we're still learning about how it all works together. Right. And I think one of the things that this all brings to light is the issue of how even something like, like drug abuse is not solely about addiction, but it affects the body in so many other ways. Like it, you know, our nutrition is so tightly linked to our health that I think sometimes we forget that people's nutrition can be affected as a result of other diseases or other maladaptive behaviors. I would like to learn more about this, I guess, like how... Yeah, yeah, sure. Because it's not something I've ever really thought about or considered, like how... Um, I, yeah, I don't know, like how those different, um, uh, yeah, like levels of things in our brain, like you're talking about affect our decision making around eating and, and, um, I guess, yeah, it's, it brings up, um, like you said, a really good point that it's so much more complex, I guess, than just. Our, our food decision making there's so much that goes into play and for me it it makes Definitely. me think about um as a dietitian it makes me want to take that into more consideration i guess when i'm talking about eating behaviors or about decision making mm-hmm. around food um yeah because i guess there's more beyond um sometimes what we think influences someone's decisions around food than um yeah than we might think or than we might consider that's kind of what that makes me think about absolutely absolutely and something else that we can think about too is like where does this come from why would somebody have lower opioid Mm. receptors in some of their in some of these brain regions than somebody else like why is there individual variation were they like is this genetic Mm. this is just like something they've had since birth was it something as a result of environmental factors or was this a learned behavior was this a compensatory behavior because let's say like these people were restrictive Mm -hmm. eaters for a very long time and all of a sudden their body was like no 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 
you need to be eating. So we're going to decrease the amount of receptors right. in, of opioid receptors in your insula, for example. Interesting. Yeah, no, you know exactly. I mean? So I don't know, like the, the, the research is very early in that regard. Like we're still only just like figuring things out, like just even understanding like where these receptors are, how many of them are, are there, like what that's related to behaviorally. But I think we're still a bit of ways from understanding why that's the case. But we do know like there is a lot of individual variability, which does make, you know, exactly like make it more complex. And we have to understand like people are so different and there could be so many different factors involved in these feeding behaviors. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I yeah, like I said, I mean, I think that proves a point that, um, you know, there's so much, so much generic, um, maybe not even generic, but like one size fits all, like, um, kind of advice or like, um, guidance provided around nutrition and eating online. And that just kind of drives home that, um, you can't take that kind of approach when it comes to someone's eating or someone's nutrition because everyone's kind of starting at a different like yes. place or a different baseline um, when it comes to food behaviors or thoughts about food or um, decision making, like you're saying. So, uh, and that can could be impacted by a lot of different things. Um, so yeah, that's really neat. Um, yeah. I'm like, I'm very intrigued. I thought it was very interesting because I always, I, one of my favorite things about neuroscience is finding anatomical correlates to function. So like finding out why we would behave or exhibit certain features because of something uh, about our anatomy, Mm. because I find that so fascinating. So uh, obviously it's very complex and there's a lot to learn, but. Yeah, I I hope that was interesting for some people and maybe it'll uh, spark an interest for someone to dig into this a bit more. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely interesting. And like you said, definitely a very complex um, topic. And I, yeah, I mean, eating is a, eating is a complex topic. Mm -hmm. It's a complex behavior. Um, Definitely. And again, another point, like it's, eating is not that, simple like how you know how there's just people that will say um uh like the willpower conversations conversations or like uh healthy eating is all about just eating less and exercising more or um 75 right like things like that like and it just doesn't take into consideration how complex our eating behaviors really are and how things like yeah like um, the neuroscience behind it or the psychology behind it, like all of those things come into play um, into how much or what we eat. Um, so I think, I think most of us, myself included, can benefit from taking that into consideration um, when it comes to food and nutrition and, and eating. Yeah. Well, thank you for letting yeah, me share. Thank that. you for Obviously. sharing. I mean, yeah, that was wonderful. Um, so, I mean, I loved that. This was a 
quick and very informative episode. Um, I hope that you all enjoyed. I hope that you all will leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. If you listen on Spotify, please hit follow um, so you can follow our podcast and you don't miss an episode. And make sure you're following us on social media. Um, we would love to connect with you there. Every time, every time you follow us, they let us out of this podcast studio for one minute to get fresh Every time so you please. follow us, we gain two minutes of healthy life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So please do it. Yes. If you listen to last week's episodes, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. That's true. Real yeah, ones will get that. Understand. All right. Well... Thank you so much, Tarek. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.